Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme and we are getting very close to this year's Racing Hope for Easter Festival at the race course in Mallow and of course all this week we are giving you the chance to win with the Racing Home for Easter Festival with a pair of tickets every day to give away to send you racing on Easter Sunday and tomorrow Friday. One of our daily prize winners will have their prize upgraded dinner for two at the restaurant and an overnight stay at uh, Springford uh, Hall. Racing Home for Easter Festival runs Saturday through to Monday. Three great days of racing. Sunday is all about the ladies with the most stylish ladies event. That's Easter Sunday. And then on the Easter Monday, if you want to bring the children along, there's plenty of children's entertainment with a family fun race day. Tickets are available from corkracecourse.ie and you could be winning on the programme today. You're listening out for this sound effect. And they're off. I'll play that sound effect later on on the programme this morning and you're going to have to text your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 to be in with a chance of winning today. John Paul's taking your calls at 0818 103 103. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. We are going to be talking about vulture funds and our vulture funds are affecting one well-known family-run hotel in uh, Clonakilty. And then I see on the papers today, Charlie Weston, who we spoke with only last week on the programme. He is the personal finance editor with the Irish Independent. Uh, Charlie is writing today that thousands more mortgage holders are actually trapped with vulture funds than was previously thought. He's writing today saying that close to 60,000 mortgage holders are now what he calls mortgage prisoners of these vulture funds. The central statistics, uh, the, the, not the central statistics, the central bank estimated recently that about 38,000 borrowers were stuck paying sky-high variable rates and they were the ones that were identified at high risk of rate rises. But that figure now has gone closer to 60,000. Now, vulture funds, and the reason why they're most at risk from the higher rate rises is that vulture funds have passed on most of the European Central Bank rate rises on to their customers, whereas many of the banks held off on the early rises. They didn't 
pass all of them on to their uh, customers. And bearing in mind, there has been six ECB rate rises just since last summer in less than a year, six rate rises. And some of these uh, whose mortgages were sold to the vulture funds were already at high rates before the loans were sold on. So they had high rates and then they've had six interest rates since. And that's led, according to Charlie Weston in the paper today, to some paying as high as 9.25% in variable rates. And then a new analysis estimates that thousands of the borrowers whose mortgages were sold by the mainstream banks to the vulture funds mortgage, the homeowners had no choice in this. They're now unable to switch lenders as they can't meet the lenders criteria to qualify for a switch and some of these were not even in arrears in the past and obviously there's a call now on lenders, on regulators and on the government to try to think more creatively about how to support these mortgage holders before they too end up being forced into arrears and I think anything that can be done, if somebody has a roof over their head, everything has to be done to make sure that they hold on to that roof over uh, their head because as we know we're in the middle of one of the most serious housing crises I think this country has ever seen and then when you think of the housing crisis uh, to read today that the Department of Housing has failed to spend more than one billion euro that was earmarked for housing over the past uh, past three years at a time when we have this unprecedented housing crisis. It just really defies logic. New figures show that about 1.52 billion, so over one and a half billion of the department's capital budget went unspent. Now this was between 2020 and uh, 2022 and in that figure one billion was intended for so social and affordable houses. Now, that's the equivalent of building 40, not 40, that's the equivalent of building 4,000 social houses. And if 4,000 social houses had been built in the last three years, that could have housed about half of the total number of households that are currently living in emergency accommodation. Those families that are trying to raise children in hotel rooms or in B&Bs. Exchequer figures which have been published this week show that the trend has continued into this year with the department's capital spending for the first quarter of the year put at 232 million uh, but that's 29% below where it should be. Now obviously the department were asked to comment on these uh, figures. Now first of all they are pointing to the good news and saying look in 2022 the highest level of housing expenditure ever uh, was spent to expand uh, the housing but then when it's pointed out to them but look over uh, 1.5 billion wasn't spent from 2020 to 2022 they point out that there that was as a direct result of challenges arising from COVID. Now, in fairness, there was restrictions on the construction sector and sites were closed down. I I, I will accept that. But they also say the unexpected challenges arising from the Russian war in Ukraine. They're saying that's another reason that so many houses were not uh, built. Ono Brin, who is the Sinn Féin's housing as spokesperson, he says while COVID-19 construction site restrictions were a factor, he says they're not the main reason why so much money for social and affordable houses is being unspent. He said, nor does it explain why the annual underspend increased every year, even after 
the COVID restrictions were lifted and sites reopened. He says the level of red tape and delay imposed on local authorities and approved housing bodies by the Department of Housing and by the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform. He reckons that's the uh, principal uh, problem. And when you look, I was reading in um, one of the papers this morning that around 65,000 new residential units are tied up within planning appeals, our judicial reviews and the strategic housing development process. And this is new data that has come from the Construction Information Services, the CIS, and that's a service that provides information to the sector. And they say people within the construction sector have long identified the slowness and lack of certainty of the planning process as a significant significant factor in holding back new supply. So CIS found around 18,000 new homes are currently subject to planning appeals with Onboard Planola, having already secured permission from local authorities. And we would hear every so often here from people who are fighting the planning process and who are scratching their heads, saying that they've been turned down or there's been an objection and they have to resubmit uh, the, the, the planning application all over again. But 18,000 homes with Onboard Planola. And then approval for around 15,000 units is subject to judicial review and that's within the courts awaiting decision. And then there's 32,000 awaiting an initial decision from a board planola under what was supposed to be the fast track strategic housing uh, development. And that, when you dig down into those figures, that's made up of 7,000 homes and just under 25,000 apartments. Dublin uh, obviously has the highest number of residential schemes currently on appeal, followed by us here in Cork and then followed by Wicklow. And a judicial review, by the way, their legal challenges to decisions uh, made by local authorities or government agencies and obviously can be taken by residents or it can be taken by community groups opposed to developments. So too many people are objecting when houses want to be built in a particular area. But there is that sense, isn't there, of our, should I say, where is the sense of urgency when we are in the middle of an unprecedented housing crisis? We've 65,000 units held up in some kind of a planning uh, process. And then to hear that 1.5 billion of the department's capital budget was not spent. Where is the sense of urgency? We are going to be talking about Good Friday and should Good Friday uh, become a public holiday? We did a C103 Insta poll and actually according to people who took part in that poll, 72% of people uh, believe Good Friday tomorrow should be an official bank holiday with 28% saying no. And actually that's prompted somebody else to say are the bank, are the post offices open tomorrow because I think all the banks close, uh, they traditionally always close on Good Friday. That's where it's kind of it's an, unfi- an unofficial public uh, holiday for uh, now post offices are opening tomorrow but they're only opening for a half day so post offices will be open on Good Friday between 9 o'clock tomorrow morning and 1 they will close at 1 but all post offices will be closed on Easter Sunday and obviously next Monday is a bank holiday so they'll be closed as well so they'll open as normal on Tuesday but for tomorrow Good Friday post offices only open until uh, 1 o'clock and it does mean anyone who is due to collect 
a social welfare payment for tomorrow or for Monday. Uh, they can collect it uh, from uh, today. They can um, uh, payments will be paid out uh, today. But post offices will open tomorrow morning. Uh, on t- but just tomorrow morning they're open until uh, one. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three and a couple of people on about housing. Uh, Jar said shocking, Patricia, to hear you say that over one billion euro was not spent when it comes to uh, housing. Uh, agreeing with me, like where is the urgency in all of this? And Kay in Domamway says, why was that one billion euro not spent between 2020 and 2022 when it comes to housing? Can understand that construction sites uh, were closed, but could they not have invested in buildings and purchasing homes and restoring derelict buildings rather than just all looking at new bills? While everybody talks and gives out about politicians, what about our civil servants? They are the ones working in the background. Why were they not working to make sure this money was spent at a time of crisis? That money should have been spent and accounted for. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. And just to clarify on the post office opening for Easter, half day tomorrow, Good Friday, from nine o'clock until one, and all post offices are closed on Easter Saturday. So the post offices are closed on Saturday, half day tomorrow, Friday. Now, people in Clonakilty have been shocked to hear that well known hoteliers Tom and his sister Dina O'Donovan have found themselves at the hands of vulture funds through no fault of their own. And they're now fighting to hold on to their family-run hotel, which has been in the family for seven generations. Uh, Dina and Tom join me from O'Donovan's Hotel in Clonakilty. Good morning to you both. Hello, Patricia. Hi, Tom. Hello, Patricia. Hi, Dina. You're very welcome. Uh, Can I just start by saying I'm so sorry to hear what you guys are going through because you run such a great business and you're loved by so many. Dina, are you heartened by the local support that you are getting? It's it's heartwarming to have such support from all our customers. We're gobsmacked, to be honest. It It is lovely to have all them behind us offering support in any way they can but at the moment I suppose the only thing we can do is work through solicitors and and barristers and that kind of thing. We're kind of in a catch 22 situation I suppose. Okay, I suppose we need to start at the beginning and, you know, and we're very aware of we're not getting into specifics and all of that. But I suppose just start at the beginning and explain you took out a loan with uh, AIB. Just explain what the terms of that original loan was. I'll I'll let Tom take that question. Okay, Tom. Hello. Um, Yeah, we had a loan with the AIB, which was uh, a 30 year loan originally. And they just came in one day and they said, look, this is changing to a 12 year loan. Okay, that caused us a bit of uh, distress and whatever, and we had to do a bit of selling and restructuring. But we did all that, and we complied with everything and continued on with payments. And uh, just when we thought it was all fine, now they said they'd review it again in five years. Um, Suddenly, up to the bank one morning, and everything closed. And we were informed the week later that we were now with uh, this fund, and we were to pay them instead. So the loan was sold on and, but there was no, you weren't told in advance that the loan was going to be sold on? Uh, no, I, I, I found out when I called into the bank and tried to do my usual lodgements 
And uh, now maybe they sent out a letter a week before, but it hadn't reached us, you know. Um, and we suddenly were, you're dealing with... With a different crowd up the country. Almost a faceless. It's not a bank that you can walk into and sit down at a table and say, you know, let's talk about the terms and agreements. No, no, no. Um, what I find with these crowd actually is they um, tend to engage very little with you. Um, uh, they just seem to just make demands on you. Um, my first conversation with these people was when he rang to say, look, you're now with us. And he says, look, be straight honest with you. We're not really interested in long-term payment plan. So why don't you just put a few bob on the table and you get your deeds and we'd get our money and we'd all be happy. But from this fellow, I couldn't get an exact amount of what he was looking for. And that just gave me a problem because, you know, you, you don't pay into something not knowing what the final amount is. We wanted clarity and engagement. Uh, we tried to get and we just couldn't. And, and is that the way it's been since, Tom? You haven't been able to even sort of structure a repayment plan and say, OK, we will pay you X amount every month for the next so many years. They, they issued me a letter saying how much I could pay each month, but they wouldn't give me a final figure. They wouldn't give me overall clarity, which is what I need. Look, I, I wouldn't go into a garage to buy a car not knowing how much the car is. You need clarity before you walk out with the product. Same yeah. with the loan. You need to know where you stand. Yeah, but it would be like me walking into your hotel and booking in for a week and you saying, I'll tell you at the end of the week how much the, how much the week is going to cost. I, I, you I can't do think, business that way. Yeah, I, I would think the way they operate is give as little information but get as much information as they can of you. And then, of course, it all came really tumbling down last year uh, with, with, when a receiver was appointed. Yeah. Now, I might add, when I couldn't get... Um, clarity of them, we obviously continued saving and saving very hard. But we put it into a holding account until we got clarity from them. But we never got the clarity. But meanwhile, we kept saving away. Um, yeah, and then uh, at the end of last year, um, it, I suppose they, they turned up the pressure on us. And by the way, we, we need to point out as well, you were never in arrears at any stage when the loan was with AIB before it was no. sold on. No, we were never in arrears. However, it may not have gone in on the due date. It could have gone in a day later or two days later, depending when weekends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we were up to date with all payments. And to me, I think that is wrong. I think um, these should not be sold on unless there's some major breakdown between both parties. But as far as I can see, we were... We were correct in everything we did, you know. There were yeah, hard they, times. Yeah, they didn't yeah. even give you the chance when they were selling it on to come and say, look, guys, we're going to have to sell this on because, we, you know, we're in the position we're in. I mean, we're talking about it was 2007. Was it Was it around that time? There around was, the crash? There was no, no um, engagement whatsoever. It was their decision to sell it on and they just pressed the button and that was it. Yeah, I mean, I can't understand why they can't come to people and say, look, we need to sell this on. Do you want to go and see if you can negotiate a loan with some other bank? Yeah, yeah. That, um, that would have been... Also, I'm also led to believe that these people bought these loans at uh, a fairly good knockdown price. You know, uh, only they bought it for literally a, a percentage of what 
the value of the loan was. And of course, you can never find out how much they bought the loan for. That's uh, obviously would be deemed I, confidential I, I information. I tried to find out and I got little bits of inside information, but never, again... Never an official I, figure. I, 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 I can't say officially what was, yeah. Yeah, and then, Dina, you know, I mentioned, it's in the papers today, that, you know, they reckon close to 60,000 mortgage holders are now prisoners to uh, vulture funds. Since you've gone public with this story... Are you hearing from people who are in similar situations? We are absolutely amazed from the very moment that we went public. And we only went public because we had no other choice. Because they were starting, you know, with receivers coming in, the word was out that we were closing down tomorrow type of thing. So we had to go public. But since we've gone public, every day, Tom, myself and my sister, Trace, we have had phone calls, visits, people... On, on Sunday, a man arrived up from Castletown Bear telling me his story and saying, be very careful. This is what happened to me. And I'm only telling you because I know your hotel. I'm wiped out. Don't let the same thing happen to you. We're gobsmacked at the amount of people who are in distress. And it seems to be very underhand methods and all this. Nobody seems to want to sit around a table and discuss things like adults. Everything is... Like, one lady came into us and said that in the middle of the night, men dressed in black came in and kind of ushered them out of their house. Like, that's, that's not the Ireland I want to live in. No, no. And, and for you, Adina uh, D- and Tom, and the rest of the family, this is a family-run business. I mean, I mentioned that iconic photograph of Michael Collins that was taken outside the, the hotel. That's quite that's an right. iconic photograph. We've had Marconi and 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 um, Stuart Parnell, sorry, Stuart Parnell, and like historically, the hotel goes back a long way, and it would be a pity if it all just went up in smoke, really. And you we, employ how many people? We employ approximately seventy. You know, seasonal it goes up and down by ten, but around about seventy at most times. And we don't consider ourselves kind of owners of this hotel, we consider ourselves custodians for the next generation and for the town. Yeah. You know, people's parents, grandparents all came here and I'd like to think that people children will come here. And and your great employer summed up by uh, Catherine who sent in a text saying I'm full of your chat this morning uh, with the O'Donovans. I worked for the family back in the early 80s and back again in 2007 to 2009. It's a proper disgrace what has been done to this hardworking family who never asked a staff member to do anything they wouldn't do themselves. We got the best training. I owe to the hotel my job today working as a chef within the HSC. They employed a lot of people over the years and always paid top dollar. We will stand with them on this issue and kind regards to Dina and Tom and that's from Catherine in Dunmanway which is which is a lovely that's text lovely. and and I saw uh, your local public representatives I saw Christopher O'Sullivan and Michael Collins both raising it at a doll uh, level um, so so wh- where are you at now uh, Tom with this I know it's well, with the solicitors etc yeah could, could I just first of all say this is actually quite distressing to be washing your dirty linen in public. I know, it's not easy. And um, uh, this is what the vulture want to play on because they know that people are kind of ashamed. They, they think they've done something wrong. They, they, they don't want to be telling their neighbours that they've got this sort of problem. But we felt we have to go public. And what absolutely amazes me is the amount of people who've come out of the woodwork then coming to us say, oh my God, we're in the same position or we were in the same position or whatever, you know. But that's the point. You you have done absolutely nothing wrong. 
Yeah. From, yeah. you know, from day one, you, you know, you took a loan, you know, in order to future proof the hotel, as Dina says, custodians, you know, to pass it on to the next uh, generation, you know, because when you took out the loan, you know, 30, for a 30 year loan, the plan was that the next generation would be eventually paying it off. Well, so it was well, all well, to the do the future. Well, the reason we took out a loan of, of, of that calibre was because that's what we felt comfortable with, with the payments. Back, yeah, yeah. You know, and when it was suddenly reduced from a 30 to a 12, that suddenly doubled the payments. And that was doubling the payments bang in the middle of the Celtic Tiger Boss. era. You know, it was ooh, yeah. hard going, you know. OK, um, and, and, and Dina, how, how are you coping with the stress of it all? I have to say, it is very stressful. Like, there are a lot of sleepless nights. We've actually sat, the whole family, I've the seven siblings in our family, they've all, they're all very good to us. I mean, they've kind of been helping us any way that they can, even though they're not directly involved in the business. But we, we find we're spending a lot of time talking and together, trying to come up with plans and ideas and all this. Um, and then we go to, we bounce off Ted Hallisey, our solicitor, or Michael Collins, TD, or Christopher, O'Sullivan TD, where we're kind of using them as, as our sounding boards on occasion. And in fairness, they've done everything they can for us at Doyle level. We've actually emailed every single TD in the Doyle, in the Rockness, in the Senate, everything. We've, I've sent letters everywhere. I've sent emails everywhere. Now, even up to Michael D. Higgins. And I know that the, 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 the words come back, uh, what do you want us to do for you? And I'm saying, you can't do anything for me. But what I want you to do is read what I've sent you and be aware that there is a massive problem. I know the country is all worried about um, lots of other issues at the moment, like the um, eviction ban and all that. But quietly, stealthily, the people of Ireland are losing long-term businesses, family farms, quietly. And those people are not making it public because they're embarrassed, ashamed oh my God, we've just lost the family farm, we're the fourth generation, how can we do this? And they quietly disappear into the background. This is happening on the ground, so I wanted to go public and tell every person involved in legislation in Ireland, this is happening while you're asleep. Please wake up. Yeah, and you have nothing... I, I, I just find these uh, funds um, tend to have the same strategy in all cases. Very little engagement seek as much information as they can from you and just no no engagement but then suddenly <coughs> um issue legal papers on you or whatever which is incurring huge extra expenses on the people for example us here we we spent a fortune with and solicitors uh, yeah. Person, yeah. You get us back no yeah. you can't do this no you can't do that or questioning things and if they just spoke to us I know. rather than I know. us that's what get around the table and, and talk. Listen, we'll we'll stay in contact uh, with both of you, but you've got a huge, huge uh, amount of support, which shows the high regard uh, your 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 family are held in uh, Clonakilty. And uh, and thanks a million for joining us, and and we'll talk again. But thanks for joining us this morning on the program. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Bye Thank bye. You. That is uh, Dina and Tom O'Donovan of O'Donovan's Hotel in Clonakilty. And if you've ever visited the hotel, uh, you'll know what a wonderfully 
well-run hotel uh, it is and it has just been such a back it would be such a loss to Clonakilty to lose a hotel like this it really would Now the Labour Party is urging the government to end the discretionary treatment of Good Friday by introducing it as a permanent public holiday for all workers To discuss this further I'm joined by Peter Horgan who is Labour Party local area rep for Cork uh, City South uh, East Um, Good morning to you Peter Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. Is it fair to say that there is confusion every year about whether Good Friday is a public holiday or not? I think it is fair to say. And what we have seen through Senator Marie Sherlock proposing this is that it actually disproportionately affects those working in hospitality and retail uh, rather than those, say, in the public sector or those in larger companies which might have discretionary days off given. Uh, and what we're seeking to do with this public holiday is just to regular regularise uh, what's already happening in the vast parts of the economy already and to protect those on lower paid jobs like in hospitality and retail because hard work deserves reward in our view and what this would do is that it would bump up people's pay uh, for the day, day they're working if they are rostered to work because we've seen so many places since the relaxing of the licensing laws a few years ago uh, Good Friday becoming a day in itself, you know, people doing events around Good Friday in various different restaurants and cafes and bars. And that that needs to be rewarded with with additional pay if required or, you know, an additional day off if, 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 if the employer believes it that way. So it's funny that your poll, I was listening to your show earlier, that your poll showed that 72% are in favour mm. of of it being a public holiday. I, I don't know if you've done a poll of whether people knew it was a public holiday. But yeah, uh, that would be interesting because, I mean, because every year we get texts and, and calls and emails in from people trying to look for, for clarification on whether it's a public holiday or not. And I think the, the confusion is, as, as you've outlined, some businesses do close and do give their staff the day off, but that's at the discretion of that individual business. And and in the public sector, quite a lot of um, state agencies will be closed tomorrow. I know the CSO used to close um, uh, and should be closed. And as you said earlier, post offices will be on a half day. Banks will be on a day off. Certain libraries may close and might have restricted hours. So what we're seeking to do is just to make sure that there's no more confusion. And it brings us another extra public holiday because we're still, even with the additional Bridget State Bank holiday, that was brought in this year, which is very welcome, we're still at the bottom of the table compared with our European neighbours. I mean, the average is 13. We're now at 10. And, you know, we should be pushing for as many more more bank holidays as we can. And actually, if you look in England, in the United Kingdom, that is a public holiday. Good Friday is a public holiday in the United Kingdom. And it's not here. So, I mean, if we if we can catch up with the UK, catch up with Europe, you know, I think it's a good thing for workers. It's a good thing for families. And I think having a four-day bank holiday weekend uh, around March, uh, coming into Easter, you know, March, April, sorry, we're in April now, uh, coming into Easter is only a good thing, you know, and we're, we're talking about work-life balances and, you know, a, an additional bank holiday should bring, you know, more chances for leisure. And if people are rostered to work, then they get that, that a bit additional pay money in their pay packet, which is always welcome. OK, some of the listeners on this, a lot of people are agreeing with you, Peter. Mike says, of course, uh, Good Friday should be a public holiday, not to mention its religious importance to Christians. We fall well short of our European neighbours when it comes to days off as public holidays. That's from Mike. Somebody else says, Patricia, Good Friday uh, is a public holiday in about 126 countries around the world. It seems unusual that Ireland, a country 
country with strong Christian religious roots does not observe this uh, tradition. And somebody else says, if you work on Good Friday, are you entitled to any extra pay? And that's, you're not. No, no, no. I looked, I looked this up again just this morning, again, just to double check. And I checked this with Senator Marie Sherlock. According to the Workplace Relations Commission, it is not a public holiday. And that, and that needs to change. Do you know, it's, it's a very simple thing to do. We brought in the Bridge to Save Public Bank holiday. That was warmly welcomed. I think by doing this, as people say, there, there's already a traditional observation of the day anyway for a large part of the economy. But what we want to do is bring those sectors which are traditionally, you know, lower paid work, you know, people on minimum wage, people working in hospitality and retail, you know, they may still have to work, unfortunately, if places are, are open. Uh, but, you know, they get a bit more in their pay packet or, or they might get an additional day off at another point in the year. Uh, under the uh, under the employer's terms and terms of a contract, uh, and you know there are still places, there are still certain pubs, um, you know that will close tomorrow, you know, and that and that that and that's their their, their choice, that's their public observation of what is traditionally a Christian holiday, uh, or you know, as a, a point in the Christian calendar of of great significance. But it's not just for Christians, you know. It's I mean, you 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 might not have a religious bone in your body, but you still get Christmas Day off. So what we want to do is make sure that everyone in the economy uh, is rewarded for hard work. Okay. Um, somebody is saying, this is obviously from a business owner, says absolute rubbish. Does uh, Peter realise how much it will cost businesses? And that, is, that has always been the argument from the business owner's point of view, that these public holidays cost extra in uh, wages. Yeah, it does. Uh, and I appreciate that. But given the fact that, as we said earlier, a lot of businesses see, uh, since the relaxation of the licensing um, laws there recently, and I'm talking about hospitality and retail, uh, I don't know where that business owner who texted you is from, they've seen increased attendances, increased kind of profitability, I imagine, over Good Fridays over the last number of years, notwithstanding the pandemic closures. Uh, you know, and that, that those profits should be passed on to workers. I mean, I'm not going to apologise for advocating on behalf of of workers, especially those in lower paid employment, you know, for an additional day off or additional, you know, money in their pay packet for working in a bank on a public holiday. Yeah, I, I didn't really. So, so it's only 10 public holidays we have we have at the moment. And that's including the extra one for St. Bridget's Day, is it? That's including the one for Bridget's Day. So we were okay. at nine. We're now up to 10. And our average European neighbours are at 13. Oh, so we're, we're, and, you know, we're way short. Way short. And, 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 you know, often there's a time when, you know, you know, some employers representatives would say, like, we don't, we have enough public holidays. But facts are we don't. You know, if we're trying to, to bridge the gap with Europe in terms of, you know, work-life balance uh, and flexibility, we don't have enough public holidays. And we should. And public holidays actually bring money to the economy because people are out and about. They're, they're spending money in cafes, in, in, in hospitality and retail because they're off or, you know, they're enjoying, you know, areas like Mallow Castle or they're enjoying like, you know, city, city the Marina Park in, in the city along the Marina, which I'm told by workers is due to open on April 20th. Do you know, that's that's a good thing. Do you know, it's good that we have more days off. We've seen the global move towards a four day week. And whilst I don't think we're at that point here in Ireland, you know, more public holidays is definitely a shift that we should be advocating for. Uh, for, for all workers in the economy. 
And it is when we have bank holidays, we know the stats are there. It is good for the for the economy. People spend. Brian Mitchistan says, so is Peter asking for two bank holidays in the one month? Yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a four yeah, day. It will be a four day weekend. Emerian Clonakilty says, agree 100 percent. We should it should be a bank holiday. Many of my friends are working in the UK and they're already planning their weekend because they don't have to work the tomorrow. It is a bank holiday. Peter, I didn't realise it was a bank holiday in the UK. Um, yeah. we, we, it, it should be a day off here Catherine from Oise said people wanted pubs to open on Good Friday and now they want Good Friday to be a bank holiday the distancing of Good Friday from religion has happened but you can't have everything well you know that it depends on what your religion is uh, Catherine people will recognise it as a church holiday but for others it's got nothing to do with religion Exactly and, and it's up to people how they want to observe a day off or a, a traditional day of observation as they want. I imagine many people for years observed Bridget's Day and now there's an actual bank holiday there for people to observe Bridget's Day. Um, you know, if, if people wish to use Good Friday, use that day off if they're if they're still working, you know, to to do Christian observance, to go to Mass, it's brilliant, you know, fair play, work away with it. But if people don't want to do that, again, you know, let's just regularise it for everyone so that everyone has the day off and people can choose to do on what they want to do on their day off. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm of the generation that remembers when Good Friday, everything closed down on Good Friday. And even um, where we lived, we'd only the one channel on the on the TV. And there was there was even nothing on the TV. You know, it was just a very I, I, there dark There was something on Twitter day. during the week I saw that about, you know, RTE1, I think at half four, stopped, stopped broadcasting yeah. on Good Friday. <laughs> that was it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that now? Times have changed uh, for sure. Okay, uh, Peter, listen, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks for choosing. Uh, good thank morning you. to that is. Uh, Peter Horgan, uh, Labour Rep- Labour Party uh, local rep in Cork City. A number of people, workers in particular, would love to see Good Friday as a public ha- holiday. Anthony works in childcare. Said he, I'm working tomorrow eight to four. I think it should be a, a day off, and everyone it should be a public holiday. And of course, because it isn't a public holiday, childcare facilities must remain open for people who do need to go to work and need to have their children uh, taken care of. And then Dermot is a dairy farmer, and he says, Patricia. Bank holidays, public holidays, they mean nothing to farmers, especially those who are milking uh, cows are, and we are the ones working hardest of all and it doesn't matter what day of the week it is, uh, the cows still have to be uh, milked. 0818 103 103. Hi Patricia, Good Friday is, yes, a bank holiday in the UK. I work for an English company. I'm their only employee here in Ireland. The company closes tomorrow in the UK and everybody gets a day off but I have to use a day's annual leave for it. It definitely should be a bank holiday over here. That seems really, really unfair. If you're working for an English company and they're all off, surely they should recognise you as the as the sole worker here in Ireland and you shouldn't be forced to take a day off. That's really unfair. OK, John Paul's taking your calls. We need to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Staying on the subject, should Good Friday be a public holiday? One listener says, I'm a family carer. Uh, guess what? Bank holidays mean absolutely nothing to me because I never get a break, regardless of what day of the week it is. And someone else says, I think Good Friday should not be a bank holiday. We have enough bank holidays in this uh, country already. And somebody else is pointing out that we did.
did get an additional bank holiday this year bringing us uh, to uh, 10 when is enough enough says somebody else Mick Moriarty is the Baldy Barber in Blackpool good morning to you Mick Good morning, Patricia. Now, you're coming to this as a business owner, uh, and I did mention this point when I was chatting with Peter Horgan of the Labour Party. Uh, business owners would not be in favour of an additional bank holiday, and I take it you're the same. Yes, Patricia. We can't afford it. Like you, I, I was saying to the researcher there that if all the bank holidays are on a Monday, and it's in my barbershop, if we take in 500 on a Monday, that's, that's 5,000. I was now paying my staff 230 euro been off and I get nothing. So I'm paying out, I'm losing 7,300 and the owner gets nothing. I mean, Patrick's Day was on a Friday, which would be a busier day mm. than the Monday. So like, I mean, it's costing. Just imagine I'm being closed tomorrow. I know PG and I was saying yesterday is off for the weekend. But we're closed tomorrow, right? I suppose we're not, we're open. But I have to wait around all day on Friday to go to work on Saturday. I can't go anywhere. Like yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, Peter Horgan was making that point. It would be a four day weekend, but it would only be a four day weekend for businesses that don't open on a Saturday. Quite correct. Quite correct. And it would be more in the line of the, all of the politicians on our, 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 our national holiday, St. Patrick's Day, than be looking for a four day week. I mean, we're, we're 86 years of business, and we've never opened on a Sunday. And we've never opened on Patrick's Day. It's our national holiday. Yeah. And if you go to other countries, Patricia, you wouldn't open on a, on a, on a national holiday. They'd be closed for two days and maybe three days for national holiday. But here we can open. In fairness, I, I feel sorry for the young barbers who are there who are renting. They see the, 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 the non-European barbers open. So what do they do? They've opened Sundays and they've opened on Patrick's Day and they'll open tomorrow as well to try and pay their way. And they're struggling big time. But the, the likes of the Labour Party, I don't know where they're coming from. Well, they're coming at it in defence of workers. I mean, uh, Peter Horgan made that point that it's because when I put it to him about businesses and the cost of businesses, uh, he was saying it's a bit, you know, they're, they're the Labour Party, they're coming at it from a worker's point of view and, the, and that workers uh, need uh, to get time off. But we did, you know, as, as a couple of listeners are pointing out, we did get an extra bank holiday this year for, for yes, St. Bridget's Day. I, I, I honoured that for my staff and yeah. really so I, I tell you, when I started off in 1966, yeah. the first thing my father handed me, he was my employer. He started the business merchant scheme in 1937. He says, yeah, there's a joint labour court. Read all those, he says, see, and if you want to stay, if you want to become an employer, go to guidelines. I was always on to the number seven branch, Mary, well, Patricia, where when Joe Kelly was the branch secretary and Mary was his secretary to find out every year what was happening, bank holidays, wage increases and the whole lot. Now there is nothing Nothing there for the young people in our business. There is none, no young barber can tell you what his basic pay is in our job. So it would be more than a line to go away now and get all the facts and figures and get young people a just wage. The apprentices. The apprentices are paying barbers to do a course, a couple of thousand euro. They're not take, there's no place taking on a young apprentice and training them, and which is them. which is a real shame, if, and and a worry. It's a worry for the future, isn't it? You it mean, is. You it know, is. People will always need to get their haircuts. Oh, they will, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but when, when when I hear the like the like, these guys at Peter Hargan, and I don't know the lads, right? When I hear, I'm not attacking personally because this is a, is a group a, a decision. Well, this is a but Labour the, Party. It's, it's right, actually yeah. put forward by by yes. Senator Marie Sherlock. Well, it would be yeah. more than line. It would be more than line if 
they got their, their, their facts together and try and look after the workers themselves properly and make sure they get a just wage. Because there are a lot of people here, Patricia. When I hear that the, the standard living wage is 37,500, I can tell you there are about 10,000, 12,000 off the mark. Because the, the standard living wage is about 25,000 to 30,000 and put it in that ball figure. Retail, they're being paying pittance. Pitten, absolutely. And pitten. and I think it's particularly the focus now when you look at the cost of living crisis. How yes. how are people? You know, people are struggling to put food on the table. Oh, big time! Yeah, big time. And yeah. just but go back to Good Friday when. But do you remember a time when everywhere everyone closed? It was an unofficial bank holiday, but everywhere closed on Good Friday. Do you remember that? No, my father. My father was a very very devout man. Yeah, he was supposed to have six mess every morning in in, in Pope's Keep, St Mary's. And he'd have a shop open at five to seven. And on Good Friday, he'd be walking. And he would close the door at half past two to go up to the station. And he'd come back again when the station was over, over and, and walk from four to six. Just to try and bring in a few bob because things were so quiet. Yeah. And take the pressure off him for Easter Saturday. There was no barbers there, hardly. There was very few. I mean, 23 years ago, 15 barber shops in Cox City. Now... You have 150. No, they're everywhere. They're right. I, met, I yeah. met a lad last week and he came in to me and he, he's working for a group of barbers, right? And I said, I get done, great, I can do this. But he said, I'm not a qualified barber. I said, why? He said, I can't shave. No one's taught me. I've never had a cutthroat in my hand. He said, I, I, I feel inadequate, he said. You know, I said, if you want to come out to me, I won't charge you and I'll show you how to use a cutthroat razor. Well done. Free of well done. Well done. Well so done. And I've, and I've, and I've, Patricia, I, I've had lots of people. So with, the with training, you're saying the training yes, needs to be done as well. I've never taken one cent off anyone. Okay. But here they are today. With the the, the, the Labour Party should go away and make sure that the young barbers, and I'm only interested in my barbers, right, that they go away and get a proper training and a just wage and apprenticeship to all that. Okay. And you're you're open tomorrow, full day? We are. We are happy at the 5 o'clock. Okay. All right. I hope you have, have a busy few days in the lead up to it's Easter, it's Mick. It's and, it's and, it's and have a happy Easter as well. And you too, Patricia. God bless. God bless Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye. 0818-103-103. That is Mick Moriarty, the Baldy Barber in a black pool. Joe and Kilmallock says there should be more bank holidays. People work hard all year and they deserve little mini breaks throughout the year. Sharon is in Bantry. We have the least number of bank holidays of some countries in Europe. So I feel we deserve extra days off. Peter Organ says the average is 13 and we have uh, 10. I don't think we've the lowest. I think there are some countries uh, lower. 0818. 103103. 103. Can I just give you a couple of emails and texts in reaction to Dina and Tom O'Donovan, who joined us talking about the situation that the wonderful O'Donovan's Hotel in Clonakilty finds itself in, in the hands of receivers uh, because their loan got sold on to vulture funds and, and they really, there was nothing they could do about it through no fault of their own. Patricia, heartbreaking to hear of the O'Donovan family uh, hotel proprietors and what they're going through. We have been there and it's like playing nasty poker with these guys. You never know what dirty trick they're going to pull next. For example,
example, had it all, including the sheriff arriving on our door on Christmas Eve. Goodness me. What we did was tot up every euro we had paid and we took that from the original loan amount and we put aside the interest penalties, surcharges and all of the other expenses that they had added on. Then we went face to face with them and we made them an offer of a loan amount, less what we had already paid. Within 24 hours, an offer was accepted. Yes, it was just like poker. We did have to sign a confidentiality agreement and that is why I ask you please not to mention my name and can't go into the specifics and the details. To the O'Donovan family, I say, look after your health. You're doing a great job. You have more support than you realise. Well done to you. And listening to Tom uh, O'Donovan talk this morning, that's what he wants. He was saying, Let's get around a table, sit down, talk to us. You know, they're, they're reasonable people and as anyone who knows the O'Donovans, they're decent uh, people and they'll sit down and talk and they'll negotiate and they'll come up with some kind of uh, of a solution but it's to get the other side to get around uh, the table uh, thank you by the way for that uh, text and, and, and I can even sense in it the anxiety and the stress you went through at the time and good to know that you did get an outcome at the end of it all and uh, Nessa says the Donovan's Hotel in Clonakilty is and has been for many many years a community hub in the town it provides services and support for family members of all ages and it would be a huge loss to families living in the area and passing through what is a busy tourist hub if it was to close. We must see that it cannot be taken from our town and for the community in this way. And that is signed NASA, who is a parent in Clonakilty. Thank you for that, uh, NASA. 0818 103 103. Your thoughts are welcomed this morning. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And can anybody help Maureen in Formoy, uh, please? Could you air my problem on air? I have a knitting machine which I haven't used with a number of years. I've just found myself with time on my hands and decided I'd like to get back in to using my knitting machine. So I took it out and now I can't get it working. I wonder does anybody know somewhere in the Cork or even in the Waterford area that services knitting machines. Thanks a million and that's from Maureen and they were all the buzz and all the trends. Certainly back in the 80s and 90s people had knitting machines and you can knit up a jumper so quickly on a knitting machine. Does anybody know where Maureen in Formoy can take her knitting machine? It needs a bit of a service. 0818 103 103 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Fully qualified stylist is wanted for McCroom. Full or part-time hours are available. You email studiom.mccroom at gmail.com. Construction, labourers, ground workers, machine drivers and all types of carpenters are wanted for jobs throughout Cork. Call 021-233-9120. The Hibernian Hotel in Mallow, they've got a vacancy for an accommodation assistant. CVs to Donna at info at hibernianhotel.com. And Corkston 96FM and C103 currently recruiting a junior business development executive. It's to drive new business acquisition and identify new revenue streams. CVs and applications to HR manager at 
c103.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Can you talk to me? Cork today on C103. The success of the Wild Atlantic Way tourism route has left some residents and local businesses in the town of Kinsale dreading the summer due to traffic congestion. So to discuss what the problems are and the possible solutions, I'm joined by Kinsale-based County Councillor Kevin Murphy. Good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very good and, and good to talk to you. Is the town very much a victim of its own success? Too many people descending on the town all at the same time? Absolutely. I think you hit the nail directly on the head. Um, that's exactly what the story is. Um, it is a, a victim of its own success. And, you know, um, that's looking from our point of view effectively, um, is great and absolutely magnificent to see this home booming because the town is flying and always has been winter or summer, it makes no difference. But it does, in actual fact, come into a, a very serious issue at summertime. In particular, this past year has been a bit of a nightmare for the concealed town um, in relation to traffic flow. And the traffic flow, of course, obviously, when you see um, the, the, the residents uh, trying to get into the town and shop inside the town and you want to see others who want to go to the seaside, effectively, that means that there's going to be a snarl up and a, a problematic traffic area in the side of the town itself with traffic jams, number one, but also with long queues coming from this, the western side, from the Gallastown, Galilucas area and all the scenic areas and coming from Cork to get there. So... That's the real problem to try and make sure we manage the town in a, in a proper way to ensure that the snarl up or the traffic flows uh, can go freely, either want to bypass the town or come in and stay and, and browse around concealed town. And, and enjoy it, yeah. But has the town also seen an increase in housing stock in recent years? So there's more oh, people living yes. in the area. Yeah. It has big time, and um, I think we're talking about between four and 600 houses extra in the last five to seven years, and another 200 or maybe 400, two or 300 more ready to go again very shortly. So that certainly is going to have a big bearing. The, the, the population of Kinsale has grown substantially, um, uh, Patricia, over the last uh, 10 years in particular, but mainly in the last five and that has added to the problem, of course. And that's most welcome because yeah. it is a sought-after town, as you know. It's just very, a very genuine kind of a lovely area to go and browse and look after the... Yeah, but the, you the, bring the more people you know? into the town. Many of those houses could have uh, two cars. And of course, they need to go about their business. They need to do their shopping. They need they to do. bring their children to school, etc. And it just all adds uh, to the particularly very busy times of the year. Um, when Absolutely. Has there been any traffic studies conducted on the town? <laughs> There has indeed, in actual fact, we spoke over this morning at a meeting inside here in Conceal itself, and uh, um, the two members here, Maria O'Sullivan, who is the mayor at the moment, and myself, and uh, Senator Tim Lombard, and we. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Er minister down from Dublin, uh, visiting the town, Neil, Red, Rich, uh, Neil Richmond. And um, in actual fact, this stage, we, we are asking for to look seriously at the old um, uh, traffic management plan that was put up, number one, way back along in 2011. And is that far back now at this stage? In other words, that it's gone miles already, years and years already. So it has no function anymore there. And we need now at this stage to go and try where we can to uh, to look at that plan and completely amend it because it's totally already it. And it's far beyond its uh, its, its sell-by date, you know? It's a very different, Kinsale is very different today, 2023, to what it was in 2011. Oh, it's very different. It's very different. It's changed dramatically. And um, what we've, at that time, I think there was a tea prep, kind of a tea prep and realm for Kinsale Town on that plan itself. Two things happened in the meantime, uh, Patricia. One was in 2011, the, the town, uh, the Kinsale UDC, which is the Urban District Council, was available. That was in situ for three years after that. And uh, once the, once the town, uh, town council was abolished at, in 2014, that plan then passed over to the county council and it stood then, of course, obviously, until such time as finances were made available. And it was also, if you don't mind me saying so, in the middle of that serious recession we had from 2008. Yeah, yeah. And, um, 
you know, so yeah, they're one of the yeah. two scariest things that happened I, in the meantime. And yeah. I know yeah. this morning when I mentioned that we were going to be discussing this, we had some calls in from listeners who say that they, and, and I have to put my hand up and say, I've done this as well. Uh, they avoid Kinsale, especially on a fine summer's day, because you know it's going to be a nightmare to try to get parking. You know you're going to be stuck in traffic. And that surely isn't good for the business community. It's not. Absolutely. Um, the business community um, would lose out big time on that one. Now, in, in fairness, I, we, we, have to, we have to go and say once and for all, like, the, 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 tra- the traffic flow will come in. They're saying in the, interest, in the interest of the business people, it's about 70% of the people will bypass the town on a summer's day. So that's I think that that might be a bit a bit up in the air or small bit, but anyway, they have, they must have some kind of a, a survey done, which means that only thirty percent of the people are going to consider on a summer's day and stay. That's not good enough, mm. and we certainly need a complete and absolute appraisal of how to we'll say to come up with a solution to these these uh, traffic law problems. Are there any um, obvious so solutions that could be put in place to help uh, alleviate traffic congestion, <laughs> say for this summer? In the, in the, in the short term, yes. Um, and we uh, signposted, we had a signpost up last year and the year before for uh, a little bypass, which uh, that, that bypass is still there. And an easier way to get to uh, the, the the beaches and the leisure area. Now that's in place uh, last year and the year before, and in actual fact, it worked fairly well. But you know something, when you think of it, um, people love to people love as well to to to, to see can see town itself. Yeah, it's such and a pretty town. Big, yeah. Yes, and first uh, glimpse of town, of course, is number one. And second, the second area it is let's just let's get there and see how things are going. Considered and people. Look, people love to browse as well, and they love to if there was parking enough there, and we certainly haven't parking enough there at the moment. And as well as that, uh, in the meantime, um, Patricia, in the last 12 months or a year and a half, we have a main car park inside, which is the church car park, the church square car park, which is actually only a quarter of its size at the moment because the library, the new library for Kinsale is almost complete, and it will be finished in the next two months. Uh, and that we will then have a full size park, car park inside there again, which will be a big help. Will that be ready That's for one. the summer? It will. That'll be. Uh, we we are hoping to get the library will be officially opened in the next couple of months. Okay. Or maybe maybe two months. Okay. But and, it's almost and, there. And I know and there. Will be help. I know there are plans by the the National Transport Authority, the NTA, to improve local transport connections. Would that help to yes. try and encourage people? Don't bring the car when you're coming to Kinsale. Look to the local transport options. Yes, and and we have we have already two local two local at least two, if not three, um, local uh, uh, local um, transports um, at the moment, and they are going directly. I think there's one the one is going directly to Tranekilty and beyond, and another one is going towards Bandon and beyond. So really and truly, we have we have several of those already in place, but they need. Uh, we're or we really, I suppose, in trouble for a nighttime taxi service, and um, it's very very difficult if you're if you're having a few points of certain they can say a town which lovely people love it. They leave the car at home. They get a, they get it uh, uh, transport in, and they find it impossible to get back home because the taxis 
I saw Fury on number one, but number two is that when it goes to a late night session, the problem with it is to get a taxi in place then. That's, that's it, the main but, issue. But let's be honest, Kevin, that's just not a problem in Kinsale. That's, that's a problem all over the city and county. It is. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I, suppose, I suppose our first question um, for a solution, Patricia, would be um, there are two, two issues with that. Number one, we need a bypass um, for Kinsale, which is, ba- is very basic at the moment. It's very basic. That would be to take the articulated trucks and the heavy duty trucks off of the town itself and to get them bypassing Kinsale is number one. That's already in place, but it's a very, very poor situation for, for the, the heavy duty trucks to go to go and avoid it. And the second one would be to come into Kinsale almost, not quite into the centre of Kinsale, but almost. And before you go into the heart of Kinsale, you should be able to uh, a bridge over the actual silly, over the silly dam. And I think, um, you know, it will be something which we'd have to look forward to very soon and say to make sure that there's some major, major plan goes through in the next 12 months which will show those two things upgraded. One, outer, outer ring road as such, that may happen with the development contributions that come through from uh, the building of substantial amount of housing up there. And second of all, the, uh, the bypass would say here inside the town be more intricate and more expensive as well. But they both need to be looked after and they both need to have a design in place fairly soon. Mm-hmm. That's they're the two issues okay. which will take off the pressure off Kinsale Town and a bit of extra parking involved as well. But Kinsale very much open for business. I'm assuming people looking forward to a busy Easter this weekend, Kevin. They are indeed, and this is this is uh, the start of the real of the real uh, start of the summer uh, effort to get Kinsale really and truly on the map once again with the Atlantic, with the World Atlantic Way, Patricia. Um, Kinsale has benefited substantially well. That was a brilliant idea and has uh, benefited Kinsale big time. Long may that remain and hopefully that the, that the summer will get the sunshine and the summer hopefully again the same as we had last year and we'll all be very happy to get out to the seaside as well as passing through Kinsale Town and the remainder to staying in Kinsale Town. We need to get people to stay in Kinsale which effectively is uh, the asset test for businesses. And, and it is absolutely superb to see so many inside in Kinsale this morning. I'm, I'm at a business meeting this morning inside in Kinsale and the place is full of traffic already and people walking. That's yeah. brilliant. And yeah, yeah. yeah. and of course, well. Easter, it's Easter holidays, children are off, so families will be headed to Kinsale. And actually, I can see people saying uh, Kinsale is such a pretty, pretty town. Always love visiting there. And uh, Lucy said, uh, Kinsale, you have to go there on a fine summer's day. Put up with the traffic. It's well worth it. All right. OK, we leave Absolutely. it there. Listen, Kevin, have a happy Easter. And uh, thank you for and joining us. And the same us. to you and all yours as well. Thank you for joining us. Good morning to you. God bless. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, Kinsale based uh, County Councillor uh, Kevin Murphy. Tomorrow, Friday, the 7th of April, is World Health Day. And COPD Support Ireland are making uh, marking the day by hosting a free webinar which is entitled Living Your Best Life. And it's for people with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD. To find out more, I'm joined by Dr. Kira Hanrahan, who is a respiratory physiotherapist. Good morning, Shakira. Good morning, Patricia. And listen, thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Firstly, roughly, how many people live with COPD in this country do we know? So we know there are almost 400,000 people in Ireland living with COPD um, and possibly more undiagnosed, um, Patricia. It's the third leading cause of death in the world, actually, 
Um, and while we can't cure COPD or get rid of it, certainly the research is suggesting that we can tr- help people to treat it and manage it really, really well. Now, COPD, uh, back in the old days, it would have been known as emphysemia, isn't it? Isn't it one and the same? Um, so emphysema, chronic bronchitis, even if you've lived with chronic asthma all your life, you can develop what we call an obstructive pattern or, or obstructive lung disease. And so what you'll find is people might feel like they have symptoms such as breathlessness, chronic cough, maybe they're producing a little bit of phlegm, and they go to their GP with these symptoms. And your GP can sometimes do a lung function test to see what your lung volumes are like. They might ask you a series of questions, maybe things pertaining to perhaps your exposure to smoking or, <clears throat> excuse me, biomass fuels, air pollution. And we know that these are all factors involved in somebody developing COPD. Um, and if your GP is concerned, they would refer a person on to a respiratory consultant for, for a definitive diagnosis. Uh, would it be right in saying that smoking is one of the main <laughs> contributory factors for the disease? It, it is. Um, and certainly, uh, kind of historically, we would have associated smoking with COPD. But research is telling us now that, uh, sadly, in, 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 particularly in developing countries where, uh, you know, even young children are exposed to biomass fuels and poor air quality, that people are developing COPD as well. Things like allergens and toxins in the air, even second and third hand smoking can ca- cause sometimes an obstructive pattern, which leads to a diagnosis of COPD. Can it come as a great shock to somebody when they get that diagnosis, Kira? It can, you, you know, um, of course. And people may find, look, you know, you can live very well with COPD for a very long time. Um, and often people will have other, you know, what we call comorbidities. So they may have diabetes or, you know, car- 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 sorry, cardiac issues and other things that they're already managing. And then to get a diagnosis of COPD as well can be a blow. But, you know, the message, I suppose, that we're trying to deliver here and with this webinar tomorrow is that it is possible to live a really good quality of life with COPD. People have it at various stages from mild to very severe. Um, If people present with very severe COPD, they may have requirements and adjustments that they would need to make to their lifestyle. But there's always ways that we can try and help people to maximise their quality of life and to live really well with COPD. Yeah, and that's very much what, as you say, your message is, and that's very much what tomorrow's webinar uh, is about. I mean, Mm -hmm. I assume once you get that diagnosis, trying to live a healthier lifestyle as possible is really important. It's really important. And so the webinar tomorrow, it's, it's it's a live and it's free webinar. And if people are interested in attending, they can just log on to copd.ie to register. And there will be a series of kind of 20 minute talks there by well-known psychologist, Dr. Eddie Murphy, an award-winning landscape gardener, David Shortall, and chef um, Adrian Martin, who you may have seen on the TV. And they're going to give tips about mental wellness, making food enjoyable again, rediscovering the benefits of being active outdoors. You know, these are all things that people living with COPD, people caring for people with COPD, even healthcare practitioners, can all tune in for tomorrow and there'll be an opportunity there to ask questions and to find out a little bit more and you know about maybe COPD support groups locally. We have two in Cork for anybody listening, one on the north side, one on the south side and they're fantastic groups to join not just for peer support but to do a little bit of exercise maybe. I was called up to the one in, Valley, in um, Holly Hill last week and one of the support group members there said he loves Wednesdays 
does his bit of exercise, has a cup of tea and a chat, and he knows he's going to sleep really well that night. And he ah. looks forward to going to bed on Wednesday night. Isn't that a, lo- so a lovely really thing to positive. hear? Because I, 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 I take it when I introduced you, you are a respiratory physiotherapist. So I take it yeah. you, you come at it from the exercise point of view and trying to get somebody living with COPD to do exercise. That's right. You know, um, so I've worked with people with chronic respiratory disease for 20 years and now I'm lecturing in UCC. So I'm trying to impart this onto our MSc physiotherapy students also. The importance of physical activity and exercise for people with COPD. So there are there are obviously medications people can take to help with their symptom control for COPD. But the, the non-medication route, the gold star, the gold standard of treatment is what we call pulmonary rehabilitation, Patricia. And that's, you know, a series of exercise classes over a number of weeks with a physiotherapist and a respiratory nurse specialist. And people can engage with this and the, the benefits for exercise capacity and um, breathlessness and quality of life are, as, as we said, the gold standard of care for people with COPD. But look, we know that there are sometimes people can't attend pulmonary rehab for various reasons. And so linking in with your local support group, like the group up in Holly Hill, you know, they do this what they call activate your pole class every week where they use walking poles. You can do it in sitting and standing. They put on a bit of music and they just keep moving for half an hour, an hour. And, you know, when people hear physical activity or exercise, maybe they find that, gosh, that's a bit intimidating. It could be very strenuous and I already feel breathless. But really what we're saying is any physical activity, as long as you're not sitting or lying down, anything is physical activity. So minding your grandkids or cooking a meal or out in the garden, anything where you're moving is really, really to be encouraged when you have COPD. What's the Sing Strong programme for Better Lung Health? Yeah, so Sing Strong is a fabulous um, initiative that was set up in from um, my colleagues up in University of Limerick. And people can join in from all over the country. It started off very locally, but now it's a national group where you can ring in online or you can attend the group and you sing for better lung health. And Ah. they've shown that it improves. Yeah, it can improve your lung volumes, your quality of life and your breathlessness. So that's a really lovely, lovely initiative that has taken off around the country. And a lot of the people that I know with COPD dial in on a weekly or twice a weekly basis to join the, the, the singing group. Yeah. And, and and singing and music, it's it's just it's so good for the soul, isn't it? It's just and because I mean because you were you know you were talking yeah. about you know the mental health and the mental side of it. That's so important. And singing and you know always puts you in good mood. It does, doesn't it? And it's lovely, you know, um for people to engage, you know, have a bit of a laugh and everything. And it doesn't have you don't have to be a great singer or anything. <laughs> it's about the, the activity and being involved with it and the social support. And we know, you know, that social support and feedback and monitoring, all of these techniques are really, really good for helping people to stick with it, you know, to stay with the program that they enjoy. And if singing is your thing and you love music, then this is definitely well evidenced um, um, method of helping to, to cope and to improve your quality of life with COPD. OK, so tomorrow it's all about living your best life with COPD. How can people sign up for the free webinar and what time is it on? Yeah, so the webinar is on tomorrow. It's World Health Day. And so to, to mark this, COPD Support Ireland are um, offering a free webinar from 12 until half past one tomorrow. If you go on to copd.ie or if you've been a family member maybe who could do that for you and you just log in and register your details and a series of, you know, maybe three or four 20 minute talks and you can ask plenty of questions and then you'll be signposted there to support in your community. 
pulmonary rehabilitation programs, um, the Think Strong program, all those, all that information will be available for people tomorrow. Yeah, but I, I, whenever we cover topics like this, Kira, I'm always saying to people, you need to reach out. You know, sometimes when you get a diagnosis or you've been living with COPD for a while, yeah. it can be very isolating. People think that they're the only ones going through it. And I just think that peer to peer support, somebody who's might be further down the road than you or somebody who found a solution to something that you're struggling with at the moment, that peer to peer support is fantastic. It's, it's really it's so valuable, Patricia. And I think, you know, it can be hard to get out the door and people are isolated and they feel breathless and they can get into this vicious cycle maybe of avoiding these interactions, avoiding leaving the house because well, I'm going to feel breathless and I might be suffering from fatigue. But actually, you know, um, it's important with a little bit of support to try and get out the door and to meet people face to face. And like I said, that gentleman last week, I love Wednesdays. I look forward to going to bed on Wednesday nights because I've had my chat, done my exercise, and I know I'm going to have a good night's sleep. And and that's such such a valuable um, thing to be able to do, you know. Okay, and obviously carers and people living with somebody with COPD more than welcome to log on to the webinar tomorrow. Listen, good luck with it, uh, Kira. Enjoyed our chat. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us today. Me too. Thanks very much, yeah, Patricia. Good morning Bye-bye. to you. Bye-bye. Uh, Dr. Kira Hanrahan there, respiratory uh, physiotherapist. Congratulations. Our racing home for Easter Festival winner for today is Dervila Fitzpatrick in Liscarroll. Congratulations, Dervila. You are going racing on Easter Sunday. Tickets for two and do stay tuned because tomorrow your prize could be upgraded to a dinner out at the race course. There's a table reserved in the restaurant where you enjoy a four course meal overlooking the track. You'll get your race card and your admission for two and then following your day at the race is an overnight stay for two where awaits our, one of our listeners tomorrow in Springford Hall Country House Hotel located just 10 minutes outside of the uh, race course. So congratulations Dervla Fitzpatrick in Lascarle. We've got one more day to do it. And they're off. And that will be the same sound effect we will play tomorrow and we will open up the text message and the WhatsApp service. We'll get our winner and then we'll put all the five names into the hat. But congratulations to Dervla Fitzpatrick in Liscarroll. Now, for people who are waiting on the government's spring cost of living, uh, the bonus payment, the extra €200 that was announced a number of weeks ago and we were told it will be paid sometime in April and I would say every single day since we've had texts and calls in from people saying any idea when the spring cost of living bonus €200 is going to be paid. Well, it's just been announced. It is set to be paid on the week of April the 24th, depending on what day of the week your payment is due. So it's kind of that we they did say the latter end of April. So the week of April the 24th, that's a Monday, isn't it? So whatever day you get your social welfare payment, it's that week you'll get your extra €200. Euro. Who's entitled to get it? The best way of working it out is if you normally receive the Christmas bonus payment or a working family payment in recent months, then you will be eligible for this €200. No, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to apply for it. It will be paid out, but it's been paid primarily to recipients who received the Christmas bonus uh, payment and also working family payment is included. And for those who receive, if you've got children, for those who receive child benefit, there is an additional lump sum payment of €100 for each child and that's going to be paid in June with your regular child benefit 
payment. Okay, so for families with children, extra hundred euro in June with your regular child benefit payment. For for people waiting on that extra two hundred euro, and and I'm telling you, judging by the amount of calls and comments we have had in, there are so many people waiting on this two hundred euro. To me, they've already earmarked in their minds where this money is going to go. For some people, of course, it'll go to pay a bill. So the week of April the twenty fourth. 0818-103-103. You can get your questions in, please, for Jane Pickett, our resident vet. If some of the pets in your house are feeling a little bit unwell at the moment and you've got a question, you can get it in to either John Paul, 0818-103-103, or you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103103. Some of your commentary coming in throughout the morning. We were talking about the Labour Party and they are suggesting to the government that Good Friday should be made into a public holiday so we would have an extra bank holiday. At the moment, we have 10 bank holidays, including the extra one that we got this year for St. Bridget's Day. But the Labour Party is suggesting it move it up to 11 and give everybody Good Friday off. One listener contacted us uh, to say, This is Dennis in Castle Magna, and said, Okay, what about giving people a day off? for Saint, for Good Friday. Uh, would people be so keen though if you got a day off and you didn't get paid? I wonder would the Labour Party agree with that? Obviously Dennis was listening to Mick Moriarty, the Baldy Barber, who was coming at it from a business point of view and saying, right, look, bank holidays are great and extra days off are great. But from a business point of view, there's a cost involved. The business, if it has to close, will lose money, the money they would take in on that day. And they also have to pay the staff. So there is a there can be a huge cost to business to have extra bank holidays. So Dennis is saying, well, rather than it being a cost to business, well, let's lessen the cost to business by saying if people want a day off, you can take the day off, but you don't get paid. I wonder how many people would opt for that. And I think, Dennis, with the the cost of living crisis, people are watching every single euro that they've coming in every week. I don't know how many people would agree to that. But thank you for your text. And actually talking about Mick, the ball. Barber. Somebody was saying, but he was gone off the line and I don't know. And I'll try and remember the next time we're speaking to Mick to ask him. Somebody says he remembers Mick speaking or must have been earlier on in the year um, on another radio uh, programme about how high his electricity bill was and he's wondering how he is managing to stay in uh, business and that's across all. There was a period of time earlier on in the year where we did, we were speaking with a number of different businesses who really were struggling because they were getting these astronomical electricity bills in. It's really, really hard for businesses uh, to keep going with the energy costs on top of all of the other costs that they have and everything seems to be going up. 0818 103 103 and then we spoke with the lovely Dina and Tom O'Donovan from O'Donovan's Hotel and people still very much saying how saddened they feel for the O'Donovans with the news that their loan got taken over by a vulture fund. They're now in receivership and they're really battling and fighting really, really hard to hold on to a business that's been in the family for seven generations. Councillor Paul Hayes, who is a local independent independent councillor in West Cork, who would know O'Donovan's Hotel really well, says, Morning Patricia, I would like to add my voice in support to the O'Donovan family's campaign to wrestle their hotel out of the grasp of these unscrupulous vulture funds. This hotel is an institution 
in Clonakilty. It's provided generations of families with employment. It's a vital social outlet in the heart of the town and the O'Donovan family have generously opened their doors to every community organisation and charity in West Cork either to host meetings or events over the years. There is a massive groundswell of support locally for the O'Donovans and I did offer, said Councillor Paul Hayes, to arrange a public protest in their support as I know we would fill Pierce Street outside of their hotel with hundreds if not thousands of people if they so wished but Tom and Dean have declined that offer for the moment as they need to work through all of the legal avenues in the immediate future. The local, This local case has really though shone a light on a bigger issue and one that the central bank and ultimately the Minister for Finance needs to tackle as family businesses, farms and homes are at serious risk of being taken at short notice by these I'm not going to use that word by, by these men in suits who are refusing to communicate and engage with those caught up in this stressful and very emotional financial web. I want to wish best wishes to the O'Donovan family again and I hope their hotels, says Paul, will continue to be a focal point for all that's wholesome and positive about Clonakilty and West Cork for many generations to come. We are behind you all the way. And that's from West Cork Independent uh, Councillor Paul Hayes. I think summing up really good WhatsApp. Thank you for that, Paul. But I think really summing up how local people feel there is a real outpouring of support and shock for the O'Donovan family. But Paul is right. I mean, the central bank, the government, somebody needs to move. Somebody needs to do something. Because, you know, I opened the programme this morning by talking about the piece from the... um, personal finance editor of The Independent, uh, Charlie Weston, who's talking about almost 60,000 mortgage holders are now finding themselves in the grip, uh, prisoners, he says, of these uh, vulture funds. And this is new analysis that had come. It was believed there was about 38,000, but it seems that number now is closer to uh, 60,000. And there is uh, reports out, you know, showing the impact that this is having on these uh, people. And they really are struggling. They're paying massively high interest uh, rates. So it's making the loans really, really difficult for them to pay back. And, you know, the call has gone out that something must be done and the government have to think more creatively about how to support these mortgage holders because many of those are going to go into arrears. People who wouldn't have gone into arrears if they had stuck, if they'd been with the, you know, the original pillar bank that they were with before their loan gets sold on to vulture funds. And it's the fact that these loans get sold on and that people have no choice or no say in it. That's what makes it so, so difficult. And that's exactly as Adina and Tom outlined what happened to them. 0818 103 103. Came across this in the papers uh, today and I'm wondering why there seemingly has been uh, an increase in reports of sexual harassment at work. And it seems to do since we returned from COVID. A worker, for example, pulling down a colleague's trousers as a joke was among incidents of sexual harassment which was reported to the Human Resources Consultancy Firm's helpline. This is Peninsula Ireland. And they say there's been a 62% surge in such cases described to staff since workers returned to the office following the COVID-19 pandemic. A spokesperson for Peninsula Ireland said the number of calls relating to sexual harassment in the workplace increased from 444 
up to 720 last year. Spokesperson said they're currently getting on average 60 calls a month on the issue. And in previous years, that number would have only been between 20 and 25. She added that the incident in which the worker pulled down a colleague's trousers led to the victim leaving work and filing a complaint. Following a disciplinary hearing, an employee, the employee responsible, was actually dismissed. In another call, it was reported that a manager had regularly leaned over an employee at their desk and rubbed their arm. The employee was made to feel very uncomfortable and raised a complaint, stating, though, that they were too nervous to appro- approach the manager directly. And that that can often happen if it is a senior member of staff. Who do you report it to or how do you say to them, you're making me feel a little bit uncomfortable? Anyway, it is said that they did make a complaint in the end. It was upheld following an investigation. And actually, when it was brought to the manager's attention, the manager actually resigned. And then there was another case. And this came under the classification of dignity and respect at work. And what happened was dignity and respect at work training had to be given to employees at one particular company after a supervisor was greeting a worker every morning with hey beautiful or good morning gorgeous and that's how the supervisor would speak to a member of staff every every morning. Now it seemed the supervisor didn't realise that they had done anything wrong and they were actually upset that their actions had caused distress because obviously the person went and complained and said I'm not comfortable about my supervisor saying good morning gorgeous uh, good morning beautiful every morning so there was a complaint the complaint was upheld and out of that the everybody in the office had to do dignity and respected work but in fairness the supervisor himself and I'm assuming it was a he to a he to a she didn't realise that they were being in any way offensive it was just like they felt like a term of endearment but obviously the member of staff wasn't comfortable uh, with it and the the chief operating officer with Peninsula Ireland uh, Maura Grassick said sexual harassment related calls are now the company's top five areas of concern and that's for the first time ever. They say the first few weeks the last few weeks they've seen a surge in the number of calls from clients around what's deemed sexual harassment in the workplace. The reasons are far reaching but a common denominator might be the phased move back into the office after we've had what a three year of a pandemic induced remote uh, working and people are just getting used now to working with each other again. Uh, Maura Gassick said that there might be a need for some workers to become reacquainted which are with, with what are appropriate standards of behaviour and she recommended that employers circulate handbooks outlining what is considered acceptable, uh, unacceptable and what is considered acceptable. She said whether or not a person is acting with the te- intent is irrelevant. If their victims are causing upset are if their actions are causing upset or discomfort to another employee, then the behaviour needs to be addressed. The behaviour needs to be called out and the behaviour needs to stop. Likewise, the gender of either party involved is totally irrelevant. She said any failure to follow a full and fair procedure would be considered if a case reaches the court and it could result in an employer being found vicariously liable. So the employer could be uh, held up. So you've got to be careful. 
the way you're speaking to other members of uh, staff. And while you might think it's a term of endearment to, to say to somebody, good morning, gorgeous, and how are you? You're looking lovely or whatever. You've got to be very careful that the other person isn't taking it up and it isn't causing upset or discomfort to somebody else. Your thoughts welcomed on that. And why has this type of sexual harassment, why has it increased so much since people returned to the office after COVID? You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Last Tuesday, I was joined on the programme from Goleen by Brigitte uh, Eder, who was outlining to us the shock she got when a letter came through her letterbox and it was a bill for Cork County Council for just over €2,000 for the call out of the fire brigade. Now, Brigitte admitted she had called uh, the fire brigade. It wasn't a fire she caused. It wasn't fire in her land, but she was afraid that the fire, the Gorse fire last February, was getting very close to her house. Now she'd done this previously she'd called the, she'd alerted the fire service to what was happening in her area and the fire brigade had turned up and she'd never received a bill before. Now it subsequently got sorted out and it turned out that she shouldn't have received that bill. Well Leo uh, Bulger of uh, Bali Bia restaurant in Bali de Hob uh, joins me. Uh, good afternoon to you Leo. How are you doing Patricia? Uh, very well. You got a bit of a shock. When did this bill arrive? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Uh, it arrived yesterday evening, and uh, yeah, to be honest, I thought I was getting an, a, a receipt for some tax I, I had just uh, paid for on my van. But when I opened the, the letter, uh, yeah, it was a bill for six thousand one hundred and six euros for the fire brigade. Yes, uh, there's two callouts here for uh, the fire brigade on it: one from Bantry and one from Skull. And when do, do they date when the when the fire brigade had been called out? Yes, this would be on the fourth of the third. So yeah, I know the date and I know the, the particular fire that they're talking about. Um, <clears throat> we had actually had a much bigger fire the night before. Actually, it was the biggest one we've ever had. And uh, yeah, myself and my son and two of my neighbours spent the evening up the mountain fighting fires. Um, I'd say I came down maybe about five in the morning. And my wife then uh, woke me about eight to say the fire had started up again. But at that stage, I was too exhausted to go back up, to be honest. And I knew the fire brigade were were up there, so uh, I left them at it. And did you ring them to say it started again? I I didn't. I didn't. Um, So I'm not sure now how that came about, whether somebody rang and said that the fire had started and was heading towards my land and maybe gave my name in that way, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it didn't actually reach my land, fortunately. But uh, it surrounded us, and um, yeah, it was kind of it was fairly scary, to be honest. And your name, your name is on the bill. It's, it's your it's your proper oh, yeah, na- name, yeah. even though you never made the call. No, I didn't. So and look, I've I've already rang the council, and I'm waiting for someone to get back to me. And, and listen, similar to uh, Brigitte, they they would say it, it's a mistake. But I wonder how many people are getting these bills. Well, me too. Me too. And look, I mean, I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a format for the county council and they spit the bill out and send it. But uh, I think under this particular circumstance, the optics of it are, are really bad, you know. These, this was the worst year for fires that I, I can remember. And uh, to be sending bills out to people who didn't start the fires is, you know, that's kind of outrageous, to be honest. 
And what I also find quite galling to send bills out to people you gave up your time yourself along with other family members and you went out to do your very best to fight the fire. It wasn't that you sat there and said, oh, we'll let the fire brigade sort it. You well, physically God, no. went out and helped. Yeah, yeah. Well, I knew the fire brigades because I know, I know people in brigades and uh, sure, they're all, all over the, the, the peninsulas, you know, so they they kind of need all hands on deck when it's uh, when it's that bad, you know. And you didn't send a bill to them for your time, did you? No, no, no I contemplated it. But <laughs> Come no, here. I didn't. Actually, the other day when, when I had uh, Brigitte on and actually uh, Michael Collins uh, was on as well, the local uh, independent deputy, it did, we, 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 it did lead to a discussion. This happens every single year. How do we stop? My fear is one of these days and we're going to be here reporting and talking about a major tragedy or somebody's house completely destroyed. For about sure. What needs to be done about these gorse fires? I think, look, I think they just need to ban the practice altogether. I mean, if you think about it, that, you know, look, they're supposed to get permission. It's supposed to be supervised and all that kind of thing. But that never happens, you know. Um, so I think myself that practice just needs to be banned. And to think that in, in a developed country, you know, that there's a rule that says between two certain dates, it's fine to set a place on fire. Oh, no. It's just unbelievable, you know, that we're still doing it. And look, maybe in the past there may have been a good reason for, you know, burning gorse and clearing land. But, you know, I know, I, I, I live in the farming community, so I know how pushed the farmers are to use all the land they have. But the land that's been burned now is, it's not even fit for grazing. And to me, all it is, is it's the last habitat. It's the last wild habitat for all the creatures that have been, you know, forced further and further, we'll say, off the land. So the tragedy really is, is for the wildlife. It's shocking. And, uh, it's shocking the amount yeah, of what, and I mean, because, no, I mean, we, we, we have we, to stop the Yeah, we, I mean, the fires get put out and, you know, houses and residents and farms are, are saved. But we never talk about how much wildlife was lost in any yeah, of those absolutely. fires. Absolutely. And I see it just walking up there, you know, I can see. And look, I only see the small things, the lizards and the frogs and the, the mice and sure they can't escape these no. infernos, you know. And uh, like I said, that night we went up, that was hundreds of acres that were burning, hundreds. So you can only imagine what uh, what wildlife perished inside in it. It's awful. And uh, the first time I've ever seen the deer being driven out of the forest, you know, because it came right down to the back of the forest and they all fled. So, you know, it, 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 you can imagine the panic these animals feel when... Um, when, when, when a fire, yeah, and particularly the type of fire that you're describing. So, yes. come here, tell us how's everybody at uh, Bally Bia restaurant? Are you busy? You, uh, we're doing fine. We're developing okay. all the time. So, yeah, um, yeah, no, we're doing fine, and it's it's uh, we have good fun down here. And Bally the Hob is, is a great village. It's, cr- it's a great, it's a it's a great it's, little uh, spot. It's on the map now with food. So, yeah, we have plenty busy busy weekends, and uh, we'll have our jazz festival coming up now fairly soon, and. Uh, that's the biggest one of the year for us. So, and are you open every day? Or are you? We open Wednesday to Sunday. Wednesday yeah. to Sunday. Okay. Yeah, we do like a we do a heat at home range as well. So Mondays and Tuesdays we we look after that. And uh, yeah. Are the electric Are the electricity bills still as high? Oh my God! No, I'll tell you what. <laughs> the last electricity bill more or less matches the figure on on my fire brigade bill. Oh, it was six thousand euros, up from about. 1700 last year, you know. It's it, really hard, isn't it? It's crippling. But look, you know, 
we know there's nothing we can do, but uh, we kind of have to change the format, you know, to keep the uh, prices down and uh, keep people coming. So, yep. so far, so good. But, um, uh, onwards and upwards. And if you're anywhere near Ballydehob, yes, pa- pop into Ballybea. For listen, sure. Listen, Lee, you appreciate you taking our call. Thank you for that. Not at all. And, uh, good, the, uh, good to have the opportunity to talk about it. Our, thanks for that. Bye bye. That is uh, yet another person getting a bill from the uh, fire brigade. But yeah, I mean, it, it obviously does seem to be some kind of a computer generated. I mean, I don't think somebody is actually inputting that information, particularly when Leo, they didn't even make the call. I mean, even in, Br- in Brigitte's case, it turned out to be an error as well. But at least she had made the call. In Leo's case, he hadn't made the call and he was actually out helping to fight the fire. And to Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Ministry Veterinary Group, joining us uh, on this Thursday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And Jane, in all of the papers today, there's the most adorable photographs of uh, eight-year-old lurcher pups. It's a photograph, they're, they're photographs that have been released by the Dogs Trust. I mean, they're just these adorable little mm-hmm. uh, puppies, but they're they're releasing them to try and warn people to keep chocolate and Easter eggs away because they can be fatal um, to dogs. And actually, in one of the articles I was reading, they were saying dogs... They have such a keen nose, they'll sniff out. If you've hidden them somewhere in a room and the dog is left in that room on their own, a dog will actually sniff out chocolate. They seem to particularly like the smell of chocolate. Mm, uh, they will find it. As you say, they will sniff it out. So it's really best not to take any chances. Just keep it well, well away from them, high up in a cupboard, not in any room where they're ever left unattended. Or even, I suppose, the classic one that we see, maybe more so around Christmas time, is is the box of, I suppose, uh, selection sweets left on the side. And, you know, um, you turn your back for two seconds and the whole thing is gobbled down by the dog, even though they were attended. They are lightning fast and they will sniff these things out. So please just don't take any chances. So chocolate toxicity or chocolate poisoning can unfortunately be fatal in dogs oh. and cats. And it's it's really very serious. So it's important to make sure that they don't have access to any. But if accidents do happen and they happen regularly, it's happened to myself. There's no shame in it. Um, it is really important if you know that your dog or cat has eaten some chocolate to contact your vet ASAP. This is not one to sit on or wait to see if they're OK. It's really best to let them know because normally we have about a two three hour window whilst this chocolate is still in the stomach where we can give them drugs to hopefully decontaminate the stomach and get that chocolate back out again to try and minimise the effects of the chocolate so it's really one to be super vigilant to try and avoid the problem but if it does happen if an accident does happen just please don't be embarrassed contact your vet for help Yeah and the other one if you're like me a fan of hot cross buns on Good Friday the, the raisins in the hot cross buns Exactly. Raisins and sultanas are a biggie. Um, so anything in the hot cross buns, I suppose the Easter simmel cake, sometimes they have a little bit of raisins or sultanas in them. They are really dangerous. Um, the interesting thing with sultanas and raisins is for each dog and cat, we don't really know exactly how much is toxic, how much is safe and how much is toxic, because every patient seems to be a little bit different. It's actually a poison that's quite very poorly understood in comparison, let's say, to something like chocolate, where we know exactly what the toxic level 
metal is. Um, so I suppose same situation as the chocolate. Make sure it stays far, far away from them if you can. But if an accident does happen, even if it's only just a few morsels of raisin, it is best to let your vet know to discuss it with them. And they may need to get you in for, for some emergency attention to, to help your pet out. I suppose with raisins, the things that they would normally cause is, is a, an issue maybe a few days down the line. So it would normally be problems with the kidneys and the liver. So it can cause irreparable damage. So it's really best avoided. And I suppose if it does happen, managed very quickly by a vet. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, right. it's a Do dangerous time of year for yeah. the pets. Do be careful. OK, Eileen Infomoy has what she described as a half Persian cat neutered. It's about 12 months old, uh, male, constantly cleaning himself. Now, Eileen said she regularly brushes and grooms him, but no hairs are coming out. Why is this cat so obsessed with grooming? Okay, so I suppose with a Persian cat, they're usually long haired. Um, they're probably going to be seen to be seen grooming a lot more than, let's say, a short haired moggy. Um, they might have less kind of coat upkeep. Uh, it may just be that this little cat is particularly fastidious about keeping himself clean. Um, some cats are. I think it's a fine line between, well, is where is grooming appropriate and where is it a little bit too much? And normally I would say if it's having a negative effect on the pet, then it's straying into the too much. And normally that would manifest as, I suppose, shorter or um, bitten off hairs or bald areas. And actually the most common area with over grooming that we would see would be um, kind of shorter hairs or balder hairs inside the back legs and on the belly, because that's actually the easiest place for them to get to a lot of the time if they're going to do some excessive grooming. Now, excessive grooming can be due to stress and some cats, you know, Cats are not like dogs. Cats, if you move the sofa two inches to the left, they'll find that a stressful event. Some of them will. So, you know, it could be anything that set them off. So, you know, have a think, has anything changed in the house that may have caused your pet to be stressed and caused them to overgroom? And equally, it can be due to itching. So, you know, although cats can scratch with their legs if they are itchy, a lot of their itching is done with licking. So it is important to have a little look at the underlying fur. See, is, you know, does it look red? Does it look irritated? Is there one particular patch that he's always going at? So there are a few things that could be going on here, right from normal adequate grooming, which could be totally normal for your pet, right up to issues like stress and, and skin issues. So I think keep a little eye on it. Maybe check your, check your pet's skin underneath all of that beautiful Persian fur and just check that it looks like a normal, nice, relaxed, calm colour and not red or itchy or flaky if you do have any concerns or if there's a particular patch that your pet seems to be going at the whole time please just double check it with your vet they'll just assess the skin as a whole and I suppose particularly in these long haired breeds you know the problem can really hide underneath the surface and be covered up by beautiful beautiful fur on the outside even if there is a skin issue so it's important to double check well, is Eileen right to be grooming? She regularly brushes the cat. Is that the right oh, thing to yeah. do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah right. I would say so. For a long-haired breed, really upkeep of it is absolutely essential because if you don't keep up with it, you will get matting. And a lot of the time, the matting may be quite deep into the fur next to the skin. And, you know, the cat may look absolutely fine from the outside, but the deep layers of their fur are really intensely matted. And that can be very uncomfortable for the pet. It can pull on the skin as they move. It can cause a lot of tension and, and skin damage, essentially. So keeping up with grooming in a particular long hair breed is absolutely essential. So well Okay, done. hi Jane. Anything is there anything I can put on my lawn and my driveway to stop my dogs pooing everywhere? I've tried bleach and vinegar, but it doesn't seem to work. Trying to get them to do their business just in one area of the garden. Oh, that's a bit of a difficult one. There are things that you can get, but over a wide area, they mightn't be the most feasible. I know there's a few different products that you know are designed to smell really quite 
pungent so but are safe for your pet so that they may just stay away from a certain area i know various brands one of them is, is called get off um and they're essentially like gels and crystals that you can put in let's say if you had a particular border of plants that you were very fond of that you didn't want them doing their business in so if it was a small contained area but if it's a big lawn that's not really very feasible i would say look it depends on how committed you are to your lawn um it may be best to tackle it differently and to, if you want them to go and do their business in one specific area make it look a little different so if you just want them to go in a corner of the lawn they won't differentiate that from anywhere else on the lawn so maybe if you could even you know corner cordon off a little bit or have a little def different texture of the lawn so maybe plant some slightly different grass there so that they know that in their head that's where i meant to do my peas and poos but always when you're taking them outside, you know, they're not going to be inspired. You're going to have to train them into it. So maybe take them out on the lead for a little while to the area you want them to do their business in and walk them around there. And once they do their business in that spot, lots of positive reinforcements of the best boy and girl ever, maybe even a little treat here and there so that they come to associate really strongly that, well, when I do my business in that area, I get a snack or my owner's really happy with me. So although it may be tempting to try and spray the whole place, it, it really may be a better approach in this situation if it's a wide area to try and, you know, positively encourage them to go in a specific area. But best of luck with that one. OK, and Jamie is looking for tips on house training a three month old kitten. Jamie wa wants to know, does she need to put a cat litter tray in every room? I suppose a cat litter tray in every room would be the absolute ideal. That would be cat heaven, essentially, if they had all of the options in the land. They'd be delighted with themselves. But I would normally say for a litter training, two or three litter trays in the house is fine. That's absolutely grand. The golden rule, particularly if you have a multi-cat household, is at least one more litter tray than the number of cats you have. Because cats don't really like to share, particularly if they're not getting on or if they're having a bit of a cat feud. So they need options. But when you're litter training like that, and let's assume it's the only cat in the household, I'd maybe go with two or three scattered around the house. But try and keep them in the same places so that little kitten kind of gets in the habit of knowing where they need to go to do their business. Um, but yeah, certainly a good idea to have a few knocking around cats are usually great they usually kind of like toilet train themselves they're very clever little creatures as long as you have some kind of litter or a substrate in the litter tray that they can dig around in they'll normally decide themselves that that's where they want to do their business clever little girls okay and someone has a three-month-old uh, spaniel who eats gravel any tips on how to stop her Oh, goodness. Well, yeah, I think stopping it is 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 really, really important. If you can restrict area to where the gravel, restrict access to where the gravel is, that will be the absolute ideal. But look, I'm aware that's not feasible in every situation. I think if you can't restrict access, I think certainly until they maybe grow out of it, try and keep them on the lead when they need to go through that area so you can kind of keep control of what they're at. It may be a case that they're just trying to explore their environment with their mouths. You know, like it's, it's like babies with their hands, it's dogs with their mouths. That's how they touch the whole world and learn about it um, but we obviously don't want them ingesting gravel because that can be really serious and cause blockages of the intestines and you know be, be a big problem that might require surgery to fix in some cases so I would try and get them to interact with something else, something like a Kong toy or a plastic hard toy that you can fill with food. That'll kind of enrich them, get that brain working, use the same kind of skills they'd be doing, snuffling around in gravel. Um, plenty of mental workouts. So now is a really great time to start training with them and that may keep the brain occupied more with constructive things and learning and engaging with yourself rather than, you know, tanking around the house and eating gravel so it's not an easy solution I suppose for safety's sake if you can restrict access to that graveled area at all that would be 
that would be the ideal. Um, but a lot of the time, distraction works well yeah. too. Yeah, but uh, stop it. That's, that's, it's it's a, yeah. a really bad habit. Okay, we leave it there. It Listen, is. have a great week. Um, enjoy your Easter eggs on Sunday, uh, Jane, and we'll chat to you next week. Thank you very Thanks much. Happy Easter, Patricia. Happy Easter. Bye-bye. That is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you with the final one of the week for the Good Friday edition of the programme tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.